Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud. Today it is Wednesday, December the 4th. We're into December, people. Last month of the year, 2019. Wash. Okay, today's episode is fitting for the month of December because it is all about money our struggles with overwhelm, uh, our relationships to ourselves, our families, and our business. Okay, this uh, this episode is for all you business women out there, business women and men. Uh, my guest today is Lana Dingwall. So Lana is a business coach, a leadership coach. She's a podcast host of the show Changing the Story. It's a really good podcast. I listen to it. Um, she's an international number one best-selling author with the book Women Who Influence. She is an entrepreneur, a beautiful public speaker, and I am honored to also call her my friend. Lana's story of professional growth has inspired me many times since we've met. She is a master of kicking me out of my head and she challenges me to change the story that I replay over and over in my head of unworthiness when it comes to business and thriving as an entrepreneur. She is a brilliant influencer. So today I'm bringing her onto the show to share some of her bright light and knowledge with you. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> Here we go. Hello, Lana. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Welcome to my house. Yes, I love your house. <laughs> this is your first time here, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, uh, so you and, I, you and I have known each other for a little bit of time. We, I think I met you when I started up your kitchen. Uh, maybe, maybe. Maybe just afterwards because I work with your brother. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think it's been like three years. I yeah. probably met you three years ago. Yeah. Um, and since then, I mean, when I first met you, I just knew you as Miles' sister. However, um, I started to become friends with you and understand that you are a fabulous woman with so much to offer. And essentially, you're a business coach. So we've had a couple of meetings about me starting my business. Yes. <clears throat> <laughs> But I wanted to have you on the show today because um, ultimately you're one of you're a very inspirational woman, very inspirational. Well, I appreciate that because I was actually saying to a friend of mine on the way here, I was like, I'm going to be interviewed for a podcast that I actually listen to <laughs> on my own accord, and so I'm really excited because I love your podcast and I love all the guests that you have, and I feel very honored to be here, and I've definitely fangirled you. So. <laughs> Dreams do come true, people. <laughs> I think that's what you said to me the first time you saw me, actually. Yeah, like, I definitely. Think I'm fangirling. I was like, oh my god. I have no so shame with the people that I fangirl. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you are also a podcast host. And your podcast is fabulous, everyone. Like I said in the intro, it's called um, Changing the Story, Kick-Ass Women in Business. Yeah. There are so many really, really real, raw, amazingly inspirational um, episodes just you and with guests kind of similar format to mm -hmm. to this show uh, so go look that up right now we'll talk about it at the end of the show t as well uh, but let's get into it because um, as a business coach as a leadership coach what would you what do, what do you title yourself it's a, it's a complicated title <laughs> it really depends I think on who I'm speaking to like if I'm okay. at a a networking event that's largely business people. Yeah. I'll introduce myself as a business coach. A lot of people know though who have worked with me, I do a lot more than just business. Like I can help people with the tactical side of marketing and attracting their ideal clients and making more money. Yeah. But really it's always about mastering that inner game, figuring out what are where are our fears, our limiting beliefs, how are we showing up in the world, what are those stories. Mm -hmm. So business coach is just like that really easy 
title to Blanket. throw out to people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I'm always like, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Well, yeah. How much time do you have? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So to become the, um, the leader that you are and inspiring women, you have a pretty deep and intense story background, I should say that, you know, led you to become the woman you are today and to be able to influence the same. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Where did, where did all of this begin? Like where did I begin or where did my coaching Um, journey? Maybe both. Uh, Let's go personal first. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I became, I was the product of two people named Kurt and Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've met them before too. Yeah. (laughs) I, I think for me, my, my personal journey has always been, I've been very free spirited. Yes most of my life, if yes. not all of my life, as my parents routinely like to tell me. But growing up, I definitely, I think like everybody, everybody always feels like an outsider. And it doesn't really matter who you are, or what your background is. There's always going to be times in your life where you've really felt misunderstood, where you felt like you don't belong. And we can really internalize this story that we're the only one who feels that way. Yeah. Classically, it's a very powerful thing the ego does. It makes you feel like you're alone. It yes. does. It yes. does. It makes you feel like you're alone. It also makes you feel like the world revolves around you, which yes. only reinforces that loneliness <laughs> because everything that everyone does around you is directed at you mm-hmm. in your mind. <laughs> it, it is unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. But however, that so so you felt like an outsider. Yeah, I definitely felt like an, an outsider. Uh, and I think for me, one of my most pivotal moments, my like first true epiphany I went through a period of time where like most people we just assume our identity and our likes and interests based on those around us and so for 16 Mm. years of my life I just made the assumption that because I was a woman I was going to be attracted to men and that's you know never had I ever thought anything differently Mm -hmm. and it was so intense that I actually for about a year of my life really was afraid that I was just incapable of loving somebody. I had this like string of really great guys who I was dating and I could, I knew I was just never going to feel the way about them, the way that my friends would talk about their partners or the way that the guys that I was dating felt about me. And I kind of came to the conclusion that that just meant that I was incapable of love versus asking myself, maybe I was just trying to love the wrong people. And that was my first really big epiphany at 16. Okay. Uh, and I'd never before c- questioned my sexuality until the very moment that I had the realization that I was a lesbian. And that for me in and of itself came with a lot of complications that would kind of play out over the next few years of my life. It was also this really beautiful, but also rude awakening around the idea that we can absolutely have no idea who we are because so much of our identity is actually based on who we are in relation to the world around us versus who we are in the absence of it. And I just thought I was straight because everyone around me said that that's what I was supposed to be. That's how society told me I was supposed to be. And so I just made that assumption and lived my life accordingly. And so for me, that's been a really big basis for all areas of my life, not just within terms of my sexuality. It's always this questioning of, is this actually who I am? Or is this just who I've been taught to be? And it's not really always about discovering who I am as much as it is about rediscovering who I've always been, but maybe have forgotten or just haven't met that part of me yet. It's really interesting because it is true. Like we are the products of our environments and it's interesting what we agree to growing up. We, to, we agree to be as our truth um, and how I'm, 16 years old is quite um, young to have such a big realization. Like that is kind of epic in my books to be able to show up for yourself in that way, like Mm. at such a young age, because it's so, like that's a big, you're going through puberty, you're Mm -hmm. like figuring out your place in the world. And like, it's a, that must've been epic. So at 16, you had that moment. I had that moment at 16. Yeah. And it, in one regard, was like this massive weight had been lifted off of my shoulders and I finally could see how I'd always been a lesbian and all of the 
the, all of the signs were there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were definitely there. I just didn't know that that's what they were. So it was this really big relief and excitement around getting to explore and understand who I was. But it was also met with all of this fear of like, holy shit, I'm a lesbian. Yeah. And that's not really okay. Mm-hmm. And then came, even though I was not in any way, shape or form, like if my best friend had come to me and said, Lana, I'm gay or I'm a lesbian, I would have been so encouraging and welcoming and accepting. Yes, of course. But because it was me, I was not meeting myself with that same type of compassion. And so like essentially cue all of this internalized homophobia that I didn't even really know that I had. Yes. All of a sudden started coming out. And so for the four years between that moment and when I finally came out, it was kind of this battle between accepting who I was and being excited about who I was and then the fear around what that would mean. And I, I spent a long time convincing myself that I could just pretend to be straight mm-hmm. and that that would probably be easier than actually having to come out. And I really believed that story for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And again, that, that whole experience I'm so thankful for because it's been the basis of now how I approach life where I always also ask myself, Am I just choosing what I'm doing right now because it's easier? Like it's easier. I thought it was easier for me to be straight. Mm-hmm. But what I wasn't really recognizing was the cost of not being who I am and like living my life. And so it's it's always been this thing where I was now I still ask myself, am I just afraid yeah. to accept this path that I'm supposed to do or this thing that I'm supposed to do? Um, and if I am afraid, like what's the cost of not doing it? What's the cost of not doing this thing that I, I know in my heart of hearts I should do? You, last summer, you wrote a post. I think it was in the summer. Um, and I'm going to quote part of it. This was on Instagram. You said, and you said, the truth is that homophobia and all types of oppression are deeply ingrained into who we are. I had to work through 20 years of unconditioning before I could be brave enough to accept myself. And I remember reading that in your post. And I like had this like, ugh, this like moment. And it's, it's because that, that was a very powerful statement to me. Um, I didn't realize even how my conditioning had developed or manifested because it just was who I was. Mm-hmm. And that's no excuse or anything. There was no awareness behind my beliefs or no questioning my beliefs. And this, this impacted me a lot when I read it. I actually watched, this is really interesting. I watched the movie Ace Ventura recently. Okay. It, it's a movie I quote to this day all the time. I say alrighty then, alrighty then, all <laughs> the time. Like I've been saying it for 20 years. It came yeah. out 20 years ago um, or more even. It came out in 1994. Anyways, I, wa- I re-watched it t- 20 years later and it is so homophobic mm. that I, I, I immediately didn't, I wasn't attracted to it anymore. I was like, how is this acceptable at mm. all? Like, I felt really weird watching it. It was a completely different movie. It was a completely different movie. I don't know. I found it very interesting how, like... But back when I was a kid growing up, it was hilarious. Oh, and, and that was totally... a socially acceptable movie. Absolutely. And still is. Is it? I think it's still... It's. Some people would say that it's still a socially accepted movie. I don't necessarily believe yeah. that myself. But yeah. I, I also recognize that... Oh, it is important for us to kind of go through and look at things that we've just never paid any attention to and how those movies and those phrases, even just like certain lines can really have an impact on our psyche. And we Mm -hmm. take that story and it's essentially a seed that we is planted in our brain. Mm -hmm. And then we water that seed over and over again. And then that's where, and it, it can be for me, it's internalized homophobia, but for a lot of people it's internalized sexism internalized racism like right often we we learn from the society around us to not like ourselves regardless of who we are you can even be a straight white man and there's still in our society a lot of things out there that show you that you're not supposed to like all of who you are unless you fit the really narrowly defined version of what it is to be a man's man a man's man yeah mm-hmm. exactly like 
strong, tall, big, meat-eating man. You never cry. You never show any emotions. Where's your tools? Yeah. Show me your car. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and a lot of guys don't actually fit that stereotype. It's like millions of people don't. Yes, yeah. And so it's this thing where, again, I think it goes back to what I was saying with the rediscovering who we are. A lot of the times we leave pieces of ourselves behind because we're trying to fit ourselves into different boxes or different labels because those boxes or those labels define who we are. If I'm Mm -hmm. to ask you, like, who are you? You're going to give me a long list of titles and those titles are in relation to the world around you and all those titles have boxes. And a lot of the times our Mm -hmm. whole self can't fit in a box. Mm -hmm. So we have to leave parts of ourselves behind. And the parts that we are leaving behind are often the very things that we use to shame ourselves. Mm. We try and forget we have them and... We always feel like we're on this mission to, you know, fill the void in us. And the filling the void, the void has come from those pieces of ourselves that we've left behind that we're afraid to pick up because there's so much shame and guilt around that. And so for me, it was, yeah, like, um, well, being a lesbian, even like I've struggled a lot recently, which I haven't talked about like on my podcast, so you guys are getting this. First. Oh yes! yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a speech contest at Toastmasters, and I decided okay. to talk about it. So I feel conf- confident talking about it. But you know, this is something I still have a lot of trouble talking about. But I've also struggled a lot with my gender, and I've struggled a lot with it again in this, these definitional boxes of what it means to be a woman. Mm. And then, okay, well, I check a lot of the man boxes. So like, am I supposed to be a man? But then it's like, no, that does not feel right to me. But then neither does they them like a, the gender non-binary pronoun yeah. that also. And then I just realized all I'm trying to do again is fit myself into these other boxes mm. versus how about I just stop shaming myself for all the things I am or all the things I'm not and just accept who I am and move forward with that. I love that. I can relate to that a little bit in a, in a different way uh, be, about being a woman, about being a 38 year old woman with that's unmarried without children mm-hmm. because those are big women things to do (laughs) those are and those are those are oh yeah if you're not a wife and have children yeah have you even lived out your purpose exactly (laughs) I grew up for many years in my late 20s even into my early 30s where the people around me were saying that I will feel fulfilled once I have kids yeah I, would, I don't know what it feels like to be fulfilled yet, though. Yeah. You just wait and see. Just wait and see. You'll know. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, what if children are not in my future? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do understand where you're coming from, it too, like, in my own personalizing of that concept. No. But it's very, it's a very real thing to live with. You know, it is, and the and the idea is, it's like I have the extreme examples of like, oh, I'm a lesbian, and oh, I've struggled <laughs> with gender. So I've got these like some some extreme sides there. But the idea is, every single person mm-hmm. has those types of stories or those things yeah. that people tell you. So for you, it's yeah, um, when you have children, that's when you'll experience true fulfillment. And mm-hmm. I've I've obviously heard that as well. Mm-hmm. And I look at it and I'm like, well, I love children. I think I'd eventually maybe like to adopt kids. Mm-hmm. No part of me thinks that my fulfillment in life will come through me having children. I think that if I have children, it'll be a part of my joy and of a course. chapter of my life. Yes. But there's a reason why women who have children and really throw themselves into motherhood when their kids start to get older, have an identity crisis. And it's because they've completely lost who they are. They've lost who they are because, again, they were trying to fill that box. So they're like, I'm the mother-wife box, so I'm going to leave behind all of the other parts of me because this box is supposed to make me super happy and fulfilled for the rest of my life. And then when it doesn't, you ensue all of this guilt and shame around, am I a bad mother? Am I a bad person? Like, what does this mean about me? Wow. that's I just had, like, a moment I'm sure like most people listening right now too, if you really sit down and think about it, can identify some voids within you or what box you've put yourself in because it's just such a natural thing that our society does. And it's not like it's a bad thing either. I mean, putting yourself in a box can make you feel safe. Yes. You know, it can be comforting in some ways. However, acknowledging the fact that you are not the box yeah. You know, and there you are more than the box. There is more yes. to you, to who you are. Is sort of, I think, what you're getting at. Yeah, right? that's the 
that's the real sauce of life, the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think it's asking yourself while the box is safe. Yes. What are you giving up mm-hmm. for the safety of that box and is it worth it? And I think that's that's where we we're in the beginning we're convinced that the the safety of the box is worth it. Mm-hmm. And over time what we come to realize is it's not because the parts of ourselves we have to give up. Sometimes those parts of yourself are just your ambitions and yeah. goals mm. outside of family obligations, right? Like it doesn't, yes. again, that's what I mean. The, this whole thing doesn't have to be as extreme as like your sexuality and your gender. <laughs> it can be something as simple as, or you really love live music and you love going to concerts, but sure. that didn't fit into your corporate career self or your like family self. And so you gave up this huge part of you and that sucks because that doing, going to watch concerts and see live music like made you come alive and mm-hmm. it allowed you to process through feelings and it allowed you to experience something that was really important to you and you gave that part of you up because it's quote unquote doesn't fit the box so sometimes these things can just be like these little subtleties yeah. but they add up over time and we truly forget who we are and mm-hmm. that's why we're a con i feel it like at least we're constantly in this who am I? And we're trying to go out into the world and discover who we are. But the idea is we already know who we are. We've just given up yes. whoever that is. And we, we have to figure that person yeah. out again. I love that. Okay, so you um, figured out you were a lesbian. You're 16 years old. What happened? What? Let's fast forward to present day. How has that um, realization, um, what have you learned about yourself? How's that? That's a better question. Oh, one thing I learned about myself is <laughs> I actually maybe don't know that as much about myself as I thought. Yes. And that's and so that's like an exciting thing because oh, then yeah. I think that that's where the you know we often think of the journey of trying to discover who we are as this hard journey. I think it's like a very beautiful journey. Journey. It can yeah. be really exciting as long as we're obviously willing to accept what we discover. Hence, like I had to accept that I was a lesbian mm-hmm. in order for that to actually be like a nice thing in my life. But other ways I feel that it has is impacted me is again, it just gave me a, a really great snapshot into the internal struggles that all of us go through when it comes to accepting a part of who we are and the compromises that we'll make with ourselves. So again, okay, well I can be a lesbian, but I can't look like a lesbian. So I'm gonna mm. stop dressing like a tomboy. I'm gonna try and be more feminine. And that was a compromise I made. How'd that go for you? It didn't go very well. (laughs) (laughs) Did not go very well for me because, again, all that it ended up doing was I just found another way to shame myself for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that, and then, you know, I believe I'm a very woo-woo person and very, like, spiritual person. I believe in the universe. So I feel like the universe just, like, if you ignore the first lesson, it just keeps coming at you harder and harder, like, hitting you over the head of the textbook until it's finally like, okay, I got your attention. Yeah. And so for me... It was, yeah, I, I kept trying, I still, I came out, but then I was still trying to conform, conform, conform. Uh, and then all that that leads to is like depression, anxiety, self-hatred, and all of these really not great things that we want, mm-hmm. but I was doing it to myself. Uh, and so the whole journey has just taught me that I'm always on the journey mm-hmm. and the way to fulfillment in any way is really just about learning to accept whatever I discover about myself along the way versus trying to judge and or shame myself mm-hmm. for it and I just have to stop trying to conform like that's really the biggest lesson between coming out and all my stuff is just stop conforming because who made the rules yeah. anyway all the people who made the rules are like dead and they're super boring anyway <laughs> so you know like why not just go through life being like hey what are things that I like? And I'm just going to do those things and I'm going to yeah. be a good person in the process. And I'm going to encourage other people to do the same. And it's okay if what you like doing and what I like doing aren't the same. Yeah. I don't have to force you to like what I like in order for what I like to be important. It can just be important to me without it having to be important to anybody else. So how, okay, let's move this into the business because you said a few words conform being one of them. Um, that kind of resonated to me on the business side, whereas like I'm try- I tried to well I'm in the process of developing a business for myself, and I feel the need to conform. Yes, <laughs> don't worry, and we all do, right? It's we all do. <laughs> I love this because you had such a crazy growth in your spirituality. I think coming out, 
um, discovering who you are is all very spiritual. Those are, it takes one moment of bravery really to, to do that. And you've had those moments again and again in mm-hmm. your life. I'm sure it wasn't easy to tell your parents and your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how long, how long did you keep it a secret for? Four years, okay. but I kept it like a really great secret for four years. So I yeah. came out to pretty much everybody in my life except three people uh, who I told over the course of the four years. Otherwise, I came out to every single person in my life in the span of two weeks. Okay. I just, I got to the point where I was like, I have to do this. I'm scared shitless. I want to throw up. But those are all of the reasons why I have to do this. And I just ripped the Band-Aid off. Uh, and it. I had some people react really well. I had some people react... I'm not going to say like not well, they reacted the way I expected, but that was okay. Like I, I also went through this whole thing where often we want other people to accept us Mm -hmm. in lieu of us accepting ourselves. Mm. And what I realized through the coming out process, yeah, was that it took me four years to accept who I was. Everybody in my life also got four years. So after four years, if you still had a problem with my sexuality, then we'd have to have some like really tough conversations. <laughs> Didn't get to that point though. Good. And I, I think that the, what we, we just, yeah, we want everyone to just love and accept us. And I think the irony behind it is we, we desperately crave others' love and acceptance because we haven't learned how to give it to ourselves. Yes. And you can't bypass that step. And so for me, I didn't bypass that step. So it took me four years, but it was a really great four years and I came out of it and I still have all the internalized homophobia and all that stuff, but I still like really deeply love and appreciate who I am. And because I had that, even if other people weren't instantly accepting of me, that was okay because guess what? Neither was I. So I'm not going to hold right. other people to a standard that I was unwilling or couldn't, couldn't uphold myself. It's really interesting when you talk about love and self-love, how limiting our beliefs about love really are. Mm-hmm. Even people who say, I love myself and I have a great life, but then they're like, <clears throat> oh, Lana, we can't be friends anymore. Mm-hmm. Or whatever that looks like. Yeah. That would be, it's a very interesting how there are those beliefs behind love and acceptance. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure you've, you have, to, you've have faced over and over again. Um, okay. So let's, so when it comes to business, um, you work with women primarily. Do you work with men? I work with men. I just, in a classic marketing sense, yes. I target most of my marketing towards women, but I do actually have like a good amount of guy clients. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I say that because, um, I'm going to put women in a box here. <laughs> be, ni- be nice to her in the comment section. <laughs> um, we're more naturally emotional. Yeah. Um, we uh, internalize, um, dwell um, on our fears and our our, la- our feelings of self worth or lack mm-hmm. thereof. And when it comes to business or being an entrepreneur or even just taking leadership roles within the house or mm-hmm. within our lives, there's that fear and overwhelm overwhelm is like a really good word that I like to use when I'm in business mode I immediately feel overwhelmed and stressed Mm -hmm. let's get into it what when it comes to business stress and overwhelm what is that well I think that there's a there's a few things too in what you're saying and one of them is guys are also just as like stressed overwhelmed okay emotional they're taught that they can't be those things. So they're just, it manifests differently. And that's where you see guys that are like overly cocky or like angry or hotheads or they're like, so that's just a manifestation of their emotions coming out differently. And the reason I always think that it's important to acknowledge that is because when we talk about women being overly emotional and having a lot of these self-confidence issues, we, again, we're using it as this way to make women feel less than and in turn make yeah. you and I feel less than yeah yeah we are exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly and so um I think one of the things around it is just understanding that it's okay to feel all of those feelings and that does not in any way shape or form mean that you're not cut out to do what it is that yeah. you're looking to do if anything if you don't feel those things 
you're kind of like a psychopath, <laughs> to be honest. Like, there are people out there that are like, oh, yeah, well, I'm just... But I would say they're lying. Would you? I would say they're like, I've... I mean, I work in the coaching industry, right? In the coaching yeah. industry, there's a lot of ego in yeah. the coaching industry. And one thing I routinely see is there's a lot of coaches out there, sometimes they're men, sometimes they're women, who are promoting this type of... Um, shame around having blocks or giving into fear and they're just like just do it just do it just do it yeah and trust me and I'm I have the behind the scenes look into a lot of these people and I see them not practice what they preach but they don't even recognize that they're not practicing what they preach so and the reason I bring this up is it's just important to recognize that even the people who say Oh, like I never let fear get the best of me. Yeah. That's bullshit. And what they're actually doing in that moment is letting fear get the best of them. Yes. And they're lying to you because they need to protect their ego or their sense of self so intensely that they don't want to express any ounce of vulnerability. But what they don't realize is the lack of vulnerability makes them like unrelatable. And completely. We, we want to trust the people who we work with that they've been through similar experiences or they understand us. So if you are facing like that stress, that anxiety, that overwhelm, that fear of judgment, that fear of failure, or I'm not enough, or I can't do this, those are overwhelmingly normal emotions. And in a lot of ways can actually be a sign that you're on the right path because I'm a firm believer in if, if you're not afraid or if something doesn't make you kind of want to throw up a little bit, you probably shouldn't do it because it's just too within the conference of your comfort zone obviously granted like you don't need to jump out of a plane if unless there's some big purpose behind it like this is purposeful wanting to throw up <laughs> anxiety Ugh. there's a difference between there the anxiety and overwhelming having no purpose or objective versus having there be purposeful stuff so it's like with you you have this beautiful message to share with people and that's in the conversations we've had around building your business that's yeah. the thing I keep we keep talking about <laughs> I keep trying to drill into you which is like people need to hear your message yeah. and people need your support and they need your coaching or they need your guidance, however it is that you decide to run your business. And the fear and anxiety that you feel around going after that, that's normal, but there's purpose. Like you're, you're pushing through that fear and anxiety because you want to serve a greater good for both yourself in your life and people around you. And so that's like purposeful anxiety mm-hmm. and that anxiety we got to go towards versus unpurposeful anxiety is just being anxious about doing something that really doesn't serve your vision, your goals, or yes. the greater good of the world. I like that. Like the, the, the times I like when you say when something makes you feel like you're going to throw up a little bit, because I, I find fear, um, is a topic that I, I talk a lot about. Um, and it manifests in the body, uh, most commonly through, uh, the gut and, mm-hmm. That little pukey feeling. Um, I mean, we have nerves, we have butterflies in our stomach, whatever. But I've stood in the gate at World Cup events, at World Championship events for skiing, and I've had that I'm going to barf, let's fucking go feeling. And I, the only, like, it's rare that I'm so afraid I have that that same feeling Mm -hmm. as when I was on World Cup. Um, But doing things for my business and making money is the next thing on the list that makes me want to barf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting because I'm like, oh, I have this like anxiety about it. And it, it's talking about the boxes that we put ourselves in or our ego. It's hard to acknowledge that that's fear. For some mm-hmm. reason, fear is one of those things that like is instantly a bad thing. Like you're bad if you have fear, you know? Yeah. And, and again, that comes back to this whole, yeah, like the, purposeful. the shaming stuff yeah. too around it. And yeah, there's, okay, purposeful fear is I have a, which people are always very surprised to hear, but people, I have a crippling public speaking fear. Oh. And that's why I do Toastmasters because I have to learn, I've had to learn how to work through the pukey feeling so that I can still articulate myself versus just stand there and be like, don't pass out, don't pass out. 
Is that's it in front of crowd? Is it in front of crowds? Be- or like when you step on the mic for your podcast, it just flows out so beautifully. But when I go step onto the mic and I'm by myself, I'm it's by different. myself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's in public speaking. Yeah. Okay. Or right. Facebook lives too, though, because I can see people are watching me. But okay. I used to be the person who, and I still get this a little bit, but I'm getting better at it, where we could be in a group of six people and we have to introduce ourselves. And the second that the person leading the group says that everyone has to speak and introduce themselves, I would like... Oh, God. Lose, essentially leave my body. <laughs> okay. I'd be so nervous and anxious and I would never know what would come out of my mouth. My mouth would be so dry and I'd feel like I was going to pass out or throw up. And But what I recognized was, okay, this is a fear though that has purpose for me to work through. I need to, in order for me to elevate as a human, and even if I didn't want to do public speaking or do coaching, it's important for me to learn how to articulate myself in a group of people and feel confident enough in my being that I can speak mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that has purposeful fear versus watching like a horror slasher movie where I'm going to be like scared shitless <laughs> through the whole movie and then be up all night and yeah, for the yeah, next yeah. three weeks not being able to sleep that's not really purposeful fear no. so like avoid that one but you, the um it's like Edgar Tolle talks a lot about it and I think his name's Michael Singer 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 who wrote The Untethered Soul which yeah. is a really great book but he talks about how like we always try and bypass fear, but real growth is about going through the fear. Mm-hmm. And what you realize is once you go through the fear, the fear is just in the anticipation of doing something. Mm-hmm. When you're actually doing it and you get in the zone of doing it, all fear dissipates. Mm-hmm. So even when you think back to you being feeling like you're going to throw up before a race would start, I'm sure that when you're actually in the race, yeah, it's gone. It's gone. So part of it is just recognizing that that fear is just temporary. And if you go through it, it goes away and it loses its power over you. And we're giving our power to the fear versus being like, okay, thank you. Like, I feel like I know I'm going to throw up, but this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I believe in myself and I'm going to do it anyway. And all that ends up happening is you still feel scared shitless and you still are afraid of doing things and like you might throw up, but you build a sense of confidence in your ability to live through that experience I think that's where a lot of us, we feel like we might die. Like, I'm going to die if I get on stage. I, I actually want to die when people say, face your fear. Yeah. I, I actually <laughs> want to punch people in the that's face. That's fair because that's it's just a... We have all these phrases that people say and they, they mean it to be reassuring. They want to motivate you. But it's like, no, well, let's get to the root of the fear yeah. and figure out how you can just be softer to yourself yes. in that process, kinder to yourself in that process. You still will be afraid, but, um, and you are technically going to face your fear. Yeah. But going through it is like a, a gen, more gentle sort of like realistic mm-hmm. sort of analogy yes. to do that and, and surround yourself. Well, I don't know when it comes to my fears, like, I don't know. I went on this hike and I won't get into this too much, but we went on this hike in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night and I'm afraid of the dark and the woods. So I had these two things mm. and I was with a group of people that I was like, if you make fun of me one time, we are leaving. Mm-hmm. It is over. And they were all, you know, pretending to make fun of me before it happened. But in the moment, it was great. And everyone was accepting and I mm-hmm. kind of surrounded myself with people that, you know, I was able, and I was able to go through the fear uh, with some support too. It's like, I'm not alone out there. There's people that will support me through this. I know. So oftentimes when you have to face your fear, it's like this, you're alone and you have to do it by yourself a hundred percent. You can't ask for help. You can't, mm-hmm. all of these, you know, things that come up with facing your fear. So yeah, freaking punch right in the face. <laughs> so never say that to you. <laughs> face your fears. Yeah. <laughs> never. Um, when it comes to fear, I don't know if it was in a podcast or not. You said, what wolf do you feed? Um, I don't know if you remember that. It was maybe yeah. A... It's a it's an indigenous yes uh, like storytelling uh, story around fear. And yeah, the idea is there's two wolves, and one is one wolf is well in the actual story. It's like one wolf is is the darkness and the negativities and the fears and all of the more darker emotions we tend to be afraid of and then the other is like love and kindness and acceptance and empowerment and the little it's because it's like a grandpa telling a little boy this story about the two wolves that live inside us and the little boy asks well which wolf wins and the grandfather says whatever wolf you feed and I think it's so even in the fear analogy with 
say you want to start your business or you're afraid to really put yourself out there. In that situation, we have two wolves inside of us. We have the wolf that's like, show up and do it. You're going to be okay. You're going to have a lot of success. You're going to make the money you want to make. You're going to have the impact you want to make. Mm -hmm. You can do this. And then you have this other wolf that's all of your self-doubt, all the dumb things you said in year six that you're still holding on to, uh, all of the fears around what could happen. And more often than not, we choose to feed that wolf. So we choose to spin the story of our worst case scenarios. We choose to spin the story around our uh, not enoughness, why people will judge us, why we're going to fail. Yeah. But you can just choose to feed the other wolf. And I think part of when you, particularly in today's day and age, you see a lot of people who are doing really great things and they're actually like good people yeah. who are successful. Yeah. They're just choosing to feed the encouraging, empowering wolf versus spinning those negative stories. So they just have more time and energy to, to do things that are going to help them grow their business or elevate themselves versus spending the same time and energy really worrying about what could ha- all the negatives around what could happen. I love that analogy a lot. It actually like deeply impacted me and I really wanted to ask you about it because you talk about changing the story. Mm-hmm. It's a huge part of, you know, your life's journey as well as many, 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 your business journey and many others' <clears throat> business and life, mm-hmm. life journeys because it's just an easy way to identify with how you can change the story mm-hmm. Real, realistically. I mean, <clears throat> how do we do this? The th- like, I always struggle with the question, how do we do this when we don't believe it, when we don't believe the other story? I believe I am unworthy. Mm-hmm. So um, it, that's what I'm referring to. I'm, that's the story that I'm changing. Mm-hmm. However, it's like, it's not like one day I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm worthy now. I'm going to mm-hmm. change it. But just having those two wolves, it's like, oh, okay. It kind of did lift it lifted me a lot. I don't know. I like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think like- too, like the the worthy versus unworthy is the idea is you have more data in your life that supports that you're worthy than you do data that supports that you're unworthy. You have just forgotten and or not a paying attention to yeah. anything that validates you. And that's where we we often get stuck is we just look to reinforce the story that we're telling ourselves, mm-hmm. And when we need to change the story to something more positive or encouraging, all of the information that we need already exists. We just have to like rediscover it. We have to yeah. look for it. We have to recognize like, oh, there's been a lot of things in my life that I've done where I haven't failed and that I've actually done a really great job of. And, oh, even though I have failed or had a lot of struggles, I'm also really resilient because I'm still here and I'm still showing up and I'm still doing stuff. So that's actually credit not in the why I can't do it field that's actually credit in the why I can do it field and so it really is sometimes just like looking at our life objectively yeah (laughs) and saying like I'm actually pretty badass and I have a lot of proof that shows that I'm a quite a capable human and yeah I've got some like shitty stuff on my resume over here but a lot of that shitty stuff actually led to some good stuff yeah so we're just gonna go with the good side of things for the time being yeah and also that shitty stuff over there doesn't exist anymore because today is a new day and the present is the present that is in the past yeah which i find also very fucking powerful to be honest okay um i want you to talk a little bit because i think i'm a master at this this is i'm a master okay and it's a term that i've never heard until i met you and it is creative avoidance okay (laughs) (laughs) it's a really it's a really good term my first business coach actually taught me the term creative avoidance the concept with creative avoidance is all of us find really creative ways to avoid doing the needle pushing work by doing work that seems quote-unquote productive but isn't actually allowing us to make any progress in a business say you're a coach or you Mm -hmm. do social media stuff or you know you're running a service-based business the real needle moving things to do is really putting yourself out there and being seen, figuring out who your audience is and making sure that you're delivering a really impactful message that's Mm -hmm. providing them with a lot of value. That's really scary. It is scary to show up and do videos, do podcasts, post Mm -hmm. online, go and do talks. It's scary to claim like 
oh, you can actually pay me money to help you with this service. All those things are scary. So we find creative ways to avoid doing them by Mm. doing things like, oh, I'm going to build my website. Even though I actually don't really know who I'm working with or what my message is or any of that kind of stuff, I'm going to spend money or spend a lot of time on building this website. Or, oh, I'm going to spend a lot of time figuring out like what my quote unquote branding is going to be. Even though, again, I actually have no idea who I'm really helping or what my brand is because I'm not doing the Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. I'm just hiding behind busy work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we mostly, we learn by doing. So if you're struggling figuring out, okay, well, how do I find clients? Don't spend time figuring out the intricacies of your website or even an email funnel. Like go out and find clients and start working with people to figure out who do you like working with and who do you don't yeah. and figure out, oh, where is my service actually of service and where is it not? Or where are all these other cool things I can actually bring to the table that before I didn't even know people needed. And so it's just getting ourselves out there and collecting information by doing mm-hmm. the scary stuff. Yeah. But we're way, we're, we're way better off for it. And it also just helps you grow your business and actually make money and have an impact. Through this process of creating a business, I have actually, um, in my reflections, um, become aware that I don't identify with money um, in the same way that I believe many people do. So the way I identify with money, I mean, I grew up with parents that worked really hard. Mm -hmm. They, uh, my mom was a stay at home mom. She took care of the three kids. My dad was always away working, trying to become a millionaire, which he did. Uh, we had a big house, but we were like house poor, I think for a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but we always got what we needed. Plus we also went on vacations, like Mm -hmm. a family, we would go to like Martha's vineyard for the summer. So I lived a, a very, medium class middle class middle to high class life Mm -hmm. I was very uh fortunate for that um I did learn the value of a dollar I do understand what money's worth um but I've never felt like I need to be rich Mm -hmm. I've never felt that I need to prepare for my future that I need to uh have a pension and all these things that a lot of people prepare and that's their line. Like you have to go to school, go to work, get a job, get a pension. So when you retire, you have money. And it's not really like something that I've ever identified. I never thought of that money comes into my life and it goes out of my life. I'm very good at spending it. Yes. (laughs) I do like spending. I don't even actually, that's not true. Ask my friends. I don't buy stuff, Mm -hmm. stuff. I don't identify with stuff either. Mm -hmm. I kind of spend it on experience, uh, more so. But anyways, what I struggle with because of this is selling like that. My association to money and my value, the value that I put on money is like a reflection of like how I value myself. Like I don't really know how I don't know my value. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. And, so, and there's like a lot of yeah. stuff in what you said. So yeah, one of the, th- I, yeah, one right. of the things is, <laughs> this is where I wish I did have a pen, Oh shit. but I think I can remember everything. Okay. One of the things you said was, again, you feel that you are not like most people in your relationship to money, but your relationship to money is like most people. Is most okay. people have some, it might not, they, it might not manifest as unhealthy, but they have negative stories around money. Oh, okay. And one of the things you said was, my dad was gone a lot and worked really hard and he became a millionaire. Mm-hmm. So that immediately tells me that the story you have in your head is you have to make a lot of sacrifices and yeah. you have to work a lot yeah. to be wealthy. And so, and that isn't really like you like experiences, you like having fun, you like enjoying yourself. So mm-hmm. you would obviously want to repel against that. You don't want to make sacrifices. You don't want to quote unquote sacrifice all of your like prime years for your retirement years. Yeah. And so that's just like a story that you've spent around money, but money is just a thing. It's energy. Like and what I mean, even in like in a non woo woo way, money is like a human made construct where we exchange it for something money, but we have all these like stories around work and money. And you even said it when you were like, I know the value of a dollar. You also in your mind feel like you understand the sacrifice needed to make that dollar. And so for you, it's sort of like this game where 
you're like, okay, well, I'm choosing to not have as many dollars so that I don't have to make as many sacrifices in Mm. order to have those dollars. But that's not necessarily how money works. For some people, that's their relation to it. Okay, how does it work? (laughs) It's just, it's okay, well, I can be super woo here. Okay, be Um, woo. I like woo. Everyone listening likes woo too. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Money literally is an exchange of energy. The way that if you interact with me and you feel really like excited and light and happy and energetic after being in my presence, that's an exchange of energy as well. We've just monetized certain forms of labor and or energy exchange, service exchange with money. But it's important to recognize that money has no intrinsic value other than the value that we give it. So if Martians came down to our planet and we were to be like, here's a bunch of money. They'd be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's just paper. Like, I don't get why you guys ascribe so much power to it. And the important thing with money is to recognize that it's... Ooh, I like that a lot. Thanks for saying You're that. You're welcome. Okay, good. Okay, aliens. Okay. Yeah, aliens coming down to good. the planet. Good. It's really about your relationship to money yeah. that determines how much or how little you have of it, how easy it is that for you to get it, or how much you struggle to get it. Because it's, and that's like with any relationship, if -hmm. you and I approach our relationship from a place of, I have to sacrifice all the time to be in your presence, I'm going to have some resentment towards you. I'm going to try and reject you. I'm going to try and tell myself that I don't need you in my life. And that's the same type of relationship that people have with money. And at, at the bare bones of it, it's just recognizing like, yeah, like money has literally no value other than the value that we ascribe to it. And I understand we live in a capitalist society and having access to wealth is really important. And I love money. So I'm not someone who like, I like, I love making money, but I love making money because of what it allows me to do with my life. And I, I come from the background of, um, I took gender studies in school. So I, I, and I, well, my dad is like in one zone, but a lot of my other families, they ascribe maybe more to like a socialist style of living. So I had all of these relationships around money. So people who want money and who have a lot of money had to do bad things to get that money. And that means that they're bad people or it means that they sacrifice their ethics for money. And mm-hmm. I saw that play out in all the stories because I was looking yeah. to find that information. So yeah. I reinforced that story. Yeah. But then what I realized is that's not actually true. Like there are a lot of people who make a lot of money who are really wonderful people. Like I think about Oprah. If Oprah didn't learn how to monetize what it is that she does, she would not have the impact that she's had. So when we think about all of the positive impact that Oprah's had on this world, Mm -hmm. would she have been able to have even a fraction of that if she hadn't learned how to monetize herself essentially and become a money attractor? Okay, I'm, I'm, this, things are blowing up in my brain right now because, <laughs> because like, um, I've, like I said, I think I said this earlier, I've, I've always had money, like mm-hmm. money comes into my life when I need it. I'm, I'm, I have also been in severe debt, which <laughs> yeah. is like shitty, um, and come out of that. Uh, but I, I do see, I do have the stereotypical box, if we want to talk about boxes, where, yeah, money... I see some of my mom's friends, like some of the older mm-hmm. generation who have money, they seem really stressed and unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're old. They're in the retirement phase, and they can't live their lives because mm-hmm. they're whatever. However they've got to that place, it's it doesn't come from necessarily, I don't know, the notion that money can buy you happiness or whatever. Yeah. You and know? money can, can't buy you happiness, but it can give you choices. It can give you ch- tons of choices. Opportunity for sure. And like, I'm going to quote my four-year-old niece, <laughs> but like, I just want to do what I just want to do. Yes. That's a great quote. <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> you know? And, and it kind of just kind of happens and it goes for me. It's like, so that, however, is... a in my belief system, a limiting belief because is there more for me? (laughs) You know, like, can I monetize what I'm doing? Can I bring in more abundance if you want to equate abundance to money? I mean, the other day, uh, I was with, uh, my, my boyfriend, he was like, uh, he talked about being rich and I was like, what? We are rich. Look at this. Like, yeah. we are fucking rich right now. Like, yeah. look at our lives right now. Like, this is rich. This is 
epic, you know? I don't know. But then then when I'm talking to you and I'm thinking about my business, I'm like, is that what's, is that my creative avoidance? Am I using that as an excuse to make money? And it can be like, there's no clean cut answer. Okay. And again, I think this, if we even look at with the fear, right, there's purposeful fear and then there's non-purposeful fear. Yeah. So with you, if you are, if you love your lifestyle and you get to do all the things that you love and want, then you, as you said, you're rich the purposeful part, though, of where you can still utilize money is for future you. Yes, future me is like, <clears throat> <laughs> and you'll become future yeah, you. I'll become future me. Yep. And so parts of it are just okay. How can I? It, it wouldn't necessarily be creative avoidance as much as it would be like you're an ostrich a little bit with your head in the sand, where you know in your heart of hearts that you have to plan for your future, yeah. but you keep making the decision not to. Yes, and that that that's in me. there is yeah. there's a that's where there's like a a bad relationship with money in some way, mm-hmm. shape or form, and, and and not even necessarily money, but just like how to make the money or whatever it is. There's all the stories are usually very convoluted and interconnected and interwoven. So that's where it's like bad. But if you're like really happy with where you are right now, then you don't have to push yourself to have more just for the sake of more. But sometimes it is about asking yourself, am I making a compromise because I want to, and again, this is super relative. Like different people's versions of playing it small versus playing it big are different. And I am not the authority or governing body on like everyone gets to choose what theirs is for themselves. I know for me, I ask myself, am I continuing to play small because this is safe and comfortable? Mm -hmm. And when the answer is yes, that's when I know, okay, I'm going to push myself to grow. I'm going to push myself to make more money, to grow my business, to do more things. Uh, because for me, it's not about not having quote unquote enough. It's about me knowing that I could step into more of my potential, more of myself. And money is definitely a part of that for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be for everybody, but it's a part of it for me because I, I come from actually a nonprofit background and I did a lot of, I worked in fundraising, which essentially sales and marketing, but I learned a lot of stuff and I would go on field missions and I would, I would go into the field and see things. And, Mm -hmm. um, I have a very like socialist justice background. And so one thing I've also come to realize is I'm in a position where I have the ability to make a lot of money and I'm going to make better choices with that money in terms of how I use it to serve the world as a whole Mm -hmm. than maybe somebody else. And the other person doesn't have to make They get to make whatever choices they want with their money. It's their money. But so for me, it's this underlying feeling of knowing that I know that when women have more uh, access to economic resources, the communities that they live in are better off. Statistics show if you invest um, financial resources and business mentorship in communities and say they've done tests where it's just women in one community and just men in the other community, the, the communities that the women live in are five times more likely, or sorry, they escape poverty five times faster mm-hmm. than the communities with the men. And it's not that men don't do good things with their money. It's just that women are socialized to be way more community focused. So these women mm-hmm. make money in their business. They take the profits and they reinvest it in other women, in mentoring them and guiding yes. them and just helping them pay the bills or helping them pay costs. And so for me, I feel, and again, everyone's different, but that's why I say to people, like, when you have a gift and you want to have this impact on the world, I'm like, it's kind of our responsibility. Like, we're white women who live in North America. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of our responsibility a little bit, not in a white savior way, but it's our responsibility a little bit to, like, if I can make more economic resources in my life, I can use those economic resources to help people yeah. who don't necessarily have as easy of an access to them as mm-hmm. I do. And so for me, my relationship with money is, again, it's about choice. So the more money I make, the more impact I can have. And even a super quick example, my aunt's partner right now, um, he was diagnosed like out of the blue with an, a really form, like, aggressive form of leukemia. My aunt just retired. She was an EA her whole life. Like this is a wonderful, the kindest woman in the entire world. She's like my second mother. Mm-hmm. And um, her partner He's worked uh, in, a, in the factory, like in Trenton for his entire life. So he has, doesn't really have great benefits. His job's really hard. He works night shifts. And he was diagnosed with this aggressive form of cancer. Had to stop work immediately. He's had to be like in the hospital. Yeah. Like can't leave the hospital. 
um, and he's gone through one run of treatment. He's going to have to come to Ottawa. Like it's a whole oh stuff. God. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. And in their situation, like they don't have an abundance of money. And one of the things that I have felt so, um, not honored isn't the right word, but like privileged or I feel lucky and fortunate that I'm in a position in my life where I don't have to worry about money, even though I'm going through like, I'm separating from my partner. I have to live up. Like I have all these things going on, these big financial things going on in my life, but I still have the resources to like help my aunt out financially and to like give her money so that she doesn't have to have that be a thing on top of is my partner going to live or die? She doesn't have to worry about how she's also that's very pay inspirational. Their what you just said, yeah. Like I, 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 the message underneath your your aunt here because yeah. that's a, a, an issue, like a, a topic on itself. But that you that was very impactful for me. Thanks for saying that. Oh, my pleasure. That's really crazy. No, and that's like that's where like money. We can have these poor relationships with money, and we yeah. get to choose. We get to choose a relationship. If you want to have a bad relationship with it, your choice. Yeah. Or you can see it again. It provides you with opportunity and choices, and I'm like really motivated to help people. And sometimes yeah. helping people is through my coaching, through my podcast, through like yeah. interacting with people. And sometimes helping people is saying, "I don't want f- money to be another stressor in your life." Yeah. Okay, this is my last question. Um, because it is something, I don't know if I've actually talked about this on the podcast. Maybe I have, um, when it comes to business, uh, part of my belief system, my unworthiness is because I don't, is that I don't have a degree. Okay. So, and it's really funny because like I have uh, a very close, tight group of girlfriends. There's, uh, there's six of us and all of which have successfully, um, started, launched, and maintain badass businesses, and none of us have degrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a high school diploma. Yeah. Um, so speak to me a little bit about that. Like, what is your opinion of being an entrepreneur without a university degree? My feedback <laughs> on that would just be, like, I don't understand why you need the university degree mm-hmm. and I would really focus on why am I using this as a reason to make me feel inferior and incapable of doing something mm-hmm. when I can promise you no one has ever asked asked me like if I have a university degree no yeah. one even asks me if I have a coaching certification Interesting. Uh, so it sometimes people will ask me like oh when I talk about school, because I talk about playing varsity rugby, they might ask me, like, what did you study? Yeah. And I'm like, I studied religion and gender studies. Yeah. So nothing to do with business coaching. <laughs> um, wow. And I, I think it's – university is an institution, and we pay a lot of money to be stressed for a long period of time, and we learn some stuff. And our goal or objective at the end of the day is to have that degree help us – go into the job force and our society really ingrains in us that having a university degree is what separates you from the people who don't it doesn't though that's just like a again it's just like a fallacy or a story that people are told where like I get to feel better about myself because I did something yeah and you didn't but in reality when I've listened to your story and I've listened to the things that you've done you learned more through your trials and tribulations yeah like of everything you've done through your athletic career than I ever learned in university and so it's like don't disregard your life experiences and all of the other non-institutionalized forms of learning that you have gone through and taken like all of that stuff is just as important as school like most people go to university and I think it's like 80% of people once they finish school never read another book also that that stat could be totally off I'm super (laughs) dyslexic um but the idea is like the vast majority of people finish school and never again do any form of learning yeah yeah you're a perpetual learner and continuously Mm -hmm. learning so I would throw back the question like who actually knows more than who at this time in in space in your life it's not to say I don't feel like an expert at what I talk about. Mm-hmm. I do believe everything that I say. Mm-hmm. It's like, for some reason, I've linked that school thing to being a business person. Mm. Like, I need to have some sort of degree. It's really interesting. I, like, have um, a little note here because of, like, the comparison. I just compare. I'm, I'm constantly comparing. I just find it really interesting how... Okay, this is... this. Um, um, uh, uh, my, my partner in this... 
F Talks series that we're starting, we were in this interview and they read my credentials and they read his. Now, he's a PhD, he's an author, um, and I've won a World Cup gold medal. And it is part of my title. And the interviewer was like, well, she just showed you up there. Yeah. She just showed you up with your world. And I was like, afterwards we were talking I'm like yeah but that World Cup was one day I was awesome for one day no 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 I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I get that and he was like yeah and I had 10 years of hell to get my yeah. title and I just was like oh 10 years of hell eh I'm like I had 10 years of training which I loved and I yeah. it was like amazing it was like the best time of my life well and it was the best time of that part of my yes. life um but yeah I just found that interesting I wanted to share because yeah, one day versus ten years of hell. <laughs> no, and oh. it and it school's you, a weird one for me too. It's just the way I grew up. I grew up learning that if yeah. I don't do it, then I'm going to be bad. Yeah, or something. Well, like a lot of people who are entrepreneurs. So like a lot of the times, the university degree people often end up going and working in companies and corporations. Yeah. Some definitely in today's day and age with the whole tech boom startup, a lot of people go to university and then service. But a lot of people start university, drop out to build their business. Historically, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship has always been driven by populations of people who sometimes struggle and or can't find jobs in traditional job markets. So that's why like even in Canada, you see a lot of entrepreneurs in Canada are immigrants. A lot of, there's a lot of queer people or, or like a lot of trans people. There's a lot of people who do not have university degrees mm-hmm. who start entrepreneurship because they, one, maybe can't get a job in a traditional setting or they don't want the job in a traditional setting. But the average entrepreneur does not have a university degree. Maybe in our generation, it could be closer to like 50-50. But historically throughout history, the average entrepreneur definitely does not have a degree because entrepreneurship has always been about people who are trying to be innovative and start something new and often don't fit into the the boxes of traditional yeah. learning and structured. Okay. Well, that was unbelievable. We I like we talked about this before. I'm like it's I'm cutting it off in an hour. <laughs> literally. But, literally. <laughs> I'm like here we go. <laughs> Shit. We have to do another one. <laughs> um I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. That was I had a lot of booms in that. That was great. Good. I'm excited. It was it was a lot of fun getting to talk to you. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, well, have a lovely day. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh my god, that was so great. I just love her. If you'd like to connect with Lana, you can find her at www.lanadingwall.com or find her on Facebook and Instagram at, at Lana Dingwall. If you haven't done so yet, please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and leave a review of my show. Thank you all so much for listening. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.